Hey, happy Monday, everybody. I uh, reported last week, at the, well, on Saturday, I released a report on the Alabama-West Florida conference, and uh, thanks for all the affirmations on that, but I had a couple corrections I needed to make. It's also a time when there's just a lot of moving pieces, and I thought it'd be good uh, to let everybody know there's there's kind of big news happening. I just got a, a report that in Kentucky, um, they just had a special conference where another 286 churches voted to disaffiliate, which is after 80 disaffiliations last year. So it depends on when you start counting, but uh, over half the annual conference has uh, now disaffiliated from the United Methodist Church. So in my spreadsheet that I show you all sometimes, I I don't count until 2022. And if you look at that, then it's 48 the uh, 49% pretty much of the annual conference has disaffiliated at this point. And that's after uh, Bishop Fairley has stopped being amenable to them. So if you're interested in um, the context of that annual conference, I have reported on uh, Kentucky before, so check that out. Also, I've been told to try and pay attention to South Carolina. They're meeting on Tuesday, and there's set to be a lot of disaffiliations. They're, they're kind of anxious about that. I also spent some special time watching the Baltimore Washington annual conference this last week. A lot of unfortunate things said and done there. Actually, a a physical threat fantasy aired about one of the conservative leaders there, Matt Sickle, um, who I respect a lot. Uh, Hopefully, I'll be playing some footage of that here sometime soon. But um, I wanted to follow up on some of the things that I said in my reporting on Alabama, West Florida. Overall, a uh, lot of affirmations on what I've done, but there are some points of correction that I need to bring attention to so that um, I'm given a good picture and, and you trust me. So uh, just always keep in mind I'm reporting on conferences where I don't have many contacts on the ground and I, I don't have personal experience. So I'm always re- relying on articles and videos sent me as well as uh, personal uh, firsthand reporting of things going on. So I'm, I'm going to get things wrong and I, I appreciate everybody being gracious about that. Um, The first correction, I covered what was going on in Montgomery and Auburn, and I I put them both in the same category where a liberal pastor had um, put a board in place that was not sympathetic to disaffiliation, and so even though there was a clear majority within the congregation, they were not um, allowed to go through the disaffiliation process. It looks as though I was wrong in the case of Montgomery, I'm hopefully I'm going to put in the link here or in the the show notes a link to an 1819 article written on it, and it says that a couple Wednesdays ago it, it was on, um, it was it was the Wednesday before May 18th. They uh, the board of Montgomery was uh, got together. The committee apparently was at least 61 people because the vote was 31 to 30 in favor of going forward with a disaffiliation process. I don't. I don't know why they would have a board that big. There was a 12-member subcommittee with 11 voting members established early in the year to investigate the issue and recommend 6 to 5 to begin discernment. Um, So they had a a meeting a few weeks ago where there were 250 members attending and there wasn't any drama, but there was barely a majority of the voting members to go forward with uh, uh, discernment. So uh, who knows if they're going to clinch the vote, but I was wrong to say that they had been uh, stiff-armed and couldn't go through with it. Um, the other, There was a, a, a lengthier email that I got correcting several things that I said in a, a kind spirit, and I appreciate that. They didn't want to be named. Uh, he said it's because uh, it's his opinion. He says, I think the division is so bad 
that I expected that some annual conferences may bring litigation after the fact against some disaffiliating churches because it will somehow be determined that they did not follow the rules. Reclaiming assets will be the prize, and because I don't trust the United Methodist Church, I want to stay off their radar. Of course, I understand. Okay, so he corrects one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight things about my reporting, or he adds some texture at least. The first one he, he noted, the Board of Pensions will be making a motion next week at their, their conference to drop all supplemental health benefits for disaffiliating pastors. What, what he says I left out is that disaffiliating churches have already paid that benefit to the tune of millions of dollars. This conference had three fees in order to disaffiliate, pension liability, two years of apportionments, and a health liability. That's the part he's talking about. So the conference is about to create a situation where they've charged churches for money for something needful, and then they take that money away. So the moral question is, if they do take away the benefits next week, will they reimburse disaffiliating churches? He doubts it, so he thinks this really is outrageous. I did not cover it in that way. So yeah, that would be, I mean, I already said it would be bad, but it would be a, a particular slap in the face if they're saying, you've got to pay for this. And then any clergy that disaffiliate in your churches are not going to be able to benefit from it, even though you've paid for it, which would be, yeah, scandalous, outrageous. The second thing he points out, as a former member of the annual conference, your figure of 75% clergy as being conservative traditional seems high. That has not been my experience. Um, but he does agree that the laity are more conservative proportionally. So, um, yeah, uh, take it with a grain of salt. Uh, always. <laughs> All right, point three. I would not personally call Bishop Graves theologically conservative. I would call him moderate. Personally, he is very likable, and he has done some very good things with reference to disaffiliation. He's probably very conservative compared to the extremes on the Council of Bishops, but he has been towing the line for most of what comes out of the Council of Bishops. For example, he has threatened to defrock any pastor who preaches in a disaffiliated church for any reason. So that makes quite a statement. Uh, apparently it's okay to preach ecumenically at a Baptist church for Thanksgiving and pastor a Presbyterian church but not to fill in at a disaffiliated church. Uh, he said, I also think you failed to mention that Bishop Graves has become rather famous for repeatedly Call, repeatedly calling division, quote, of Satan, which, of course, is true, but he only says it in the context of disaffiliation. This was so over the top that it made the news. He never says that liberal pastors and bishops are servants of Satan, only those of us who disaffiliate. He said that a year ago in his town halls, and he said it again on May 7th at the special session. He says he wants to, quote, help people get where they feel they need to be, end quote, and then he calls them servants of Satan, for leaving, and then he gives me a link which I'll include in this. I'm not showing the screen grabs on this because I didn't edit this to make sure that I, I didn't give anything away as to identity, so I'm just, I'm reading it. Uh, he also says he, Bishop Graves also called disaffiliating pastors immoral and said that they're breaking their vows. Sadly, my positive feelings for him are not what they once were. I actually didn't hear this, this uh, calling it satanic quote until like two hours after I put my video up and then I saw Rob Renfro in a good news article, good news magazine article, made reference to that. And that really is problematic, you know, he's, he's wanting to seem kind and fair in some places, but then um, accuse those leaving of being demonic, satanic, uh, participating in demonic, satanic things. Um, yeah, that's one of the things that just really confuses me about the bishops. They really don't seem 
to be able to validate why it is that someone would want to leave. Um, and I just find that really unhealthy. Like in, in any situation where there's a disagreement, the people you want moderating the conversation are the ones that understand both sides of it, even if they side with one ultimately. The fact that they're not willing to use any sympathetic language whatsoever to conservatives uh, raises my alarm bells that that something other than the truth is prevailing. All right, his fourth thing. While the bishop is promising to use paragraph 2549, the progressive and moderate clergy of this conference are shell-shocked. You are correct that they have no idea how many wanted to leave. I cannot see any way that these clergy delegates would in any way want disaffiliation to go on for years. In fact, I have heard one progressive speak aghast at the thought that the process could keep going after 30, uh, December 31st. There is a very protectionist mindset here at present. It is so bad that at least some of the clergy must be appointed to other annual conferences because there's simply not a church in his or her salary la uh, range in this conference. In fact, here are some numbers. At the special vote uh, session in May, when about 193 churches left, the delegate votes were generally around 440 yes and 90 to 120 no. Think about that. About 100 people consistently voted no on each and every church to leave. But with all the churches that have left, that's about 300 to 350 delegate yes votes gone, there is a serious question as to whether there will be enough votes in November for a church to leave. I hope these churches can leave, but I fear that they will be trapped. In fact, the numbers disaffiliating could have been worse, except that there are numerous progressive pastors who've been refusing to even allow their congregations to talk about it for the longest time, and after delay, delay, they finally allow it, like at First Montgomery. So yeah, this is a, a systemic thing that's going on in many annual conferences where um, I suspect, you know, right now everything seems to be going pretty smoothly at most annual conferences. I think at the end of the year, we're going to see conferences where there is no more uh, ability for churches to vote to disaffiliate, and you're going to see a groundswell of churches going, hey, this is not fair, you need to give us a vote. I think you're going to find conferences where they do vote, and a majority does not ratify their disaffiliations, even though they went through the process. So after this prolonged period of disaffiliations, I think you're going to have this really bitter end-of-the-year thing that results in all kinds of lawsuits, which I think should be avoided for the good of the UMC and for the local churches. I just think this whole thing can crash and burn really badly if a more gracious attitude and posture is not taken by bishops, conference staff, and liberal progressives. His fifth critique. Harvest Church in Dothan, you explained much well. Legally, however, their strategy in court appears to be judge, declare who owns the property. That is not about ecclesi uh, ecclesiastical stuff or theology. It is a property dispute, and that is why the conference lawyer was going on about all the benefits the church has received from the conference. So it's important to note, it is huge that an Alabama judge did not rule for the conference and throw out this case, as has happened elsewhere. Trust law in Florida favors the trust, so Florida can't. Florida churches don't have a chance, but it will be earth-shattering if the Alabama judge rules for harvest, as happened in Texas. If it is declared that the church owns the property, then more churches in North and South Alabama will pursue leaving. The legal stuff always makes my eyes glaze over, so sorry about that. Uh, I'm never going to be a good legal analyst for you. I'm going to keep trying, though. 
All right, point six. As pointed out in the comments, the largest membership church got out as soon as they could. Fraser and Montgomery had something like 7,000 members. Uh, you are correct. It is staggering how many of the medium and large churches wanted out. Yeah, this is something I've wanted to do on my spreadsheet, and uh, I've had a number of people ask for access to the spreadsheet, and I'm giving it out slowly. I'm sorry. I just... Uh, it's kind of my baby, and I don't really want to hand it out before it's done, so if you want to help me complete it, I would welcome you. You can write me at plainspokenpod at gmail.com, but I think it would be really helpful to have the 20 biggest churches of each annual conference in 2021 listed out and then track how many of them have disaffiliated uh, because it does, you know, when, when the Lewis Center for Church Leadership did their study, they said, we don't notice larger churches disaffiliating at higher proportions than smaller churches. I suspect that's changed by now. I suspect the the healthier, larger churches are disaffiliating at a higher rate than the smaller rural churches that feel like they don't have the resources to do so. But we'll see. Uh, point seven, Auburn is an interesting case. Reverend George Matheson is a wonderful conservative leader. He pastored that church for over two decades. When he retired and left, worship attendance was at around 1,500 to 1,600. The bishop replaced him with a progressive. Before the disaffiliation controversy, attendance under the new pastor had dropped in only a few years to about 500. Can you imagine that? A third of its size. The pastor and the progressive leaders have done all they can to control and tamp down on disaffiliation. Finally, the board voted, the, yeah, the board voted there will be no congregational vote. Will that once great church survive this controversy? I was told this week that the newly forming refugee congregation that is left is now worshiping 600 a week. Auburn UMC has a property value of about $25 million. Will they be able to afford to maintain it in the years to come? Final point he makes, there's a huge excitement about the new Alabama Emerald Coast Conference of the GMC. We hope more and more churches will join in the months and years ahead. Yes, there is not a lot seen as of yet but the conference is not even 30 days old. So I think he's responding to the fact I pointed out <laughs> on Facebook they don't have many followers. I, I think just the reality is in uh, United Methodist circles, a lot of people are not very active online. So anyway, speaking of being active online, if you find my videos helpful, I sure hope you promote them, um, especially in the Alabama-West Florida conference. I just think it's helpful to know all these details before you assemble. Um, if your conference is anything like my former conference, a lot of people want to just show up on the day of and not be informed before, and that means that they can't make very informed votes. They're not going to know what's going on as uh, pension and health benefits comes forward and brings their uh, le legislation. So um, if you know somebody who's a delegate, pass this video on and, and the f former one. You know, it's worth spending some time being informed. Uh, I'm sorry my videos are so long-winded, but I'm a long-winded guy. And a lot of this is so uh, in-depth that it takes time and energy uh, to do right. So um, I'm sorry, but not sorry. Anyway, I, uh, I should be putting out some other interesting stuff this week. I'm trying to watch annual conferences and take clips out and uh, try and equip you all for things that you're going to hear coming and, and uh, just show you what the culture is like in different places. So... Uh, continue to pray for this effort. I'm, I'm wanting to empower uh, conservatives to know what's going on and feel more connected. So if, uh, if I've done that for you, then like my content, share my com content, go ahead and comment wherever you're seeing this. Uh, God bless you and your efforts to glorify Christ Jesus as a Methodist. We have a great heritage. Uh, let's contend for it. All right, I'll see you all later.